While you're turning there, I want to tell you about uh, an experience that Hudson Taylor had. It was a stormy night in Birmingham, England, and the famous missionary Hudson Taylor was to speak at a meeting at the 7th Street Schoolroom. His hostess assured him that nobody would attend on such a stormy night, but Taylor insisted on going. He said, I must go if no one but the doorkeeper is there. As it turned out, there were less than a dozen people who showed up. But the meeting was marked with unusual spiritual power. Half of those present either became missionaries or gave their children as missionaries, and the rest were faithful supporters of the China Inland Mission for years to come. Now, Hudson Taylor, he went to this little schoolroom. It didn't matter how many people showed up. It didn't matter who showed up. And it didn't matter what he obstacles he had to overcome in order to keep his commitment in order to be faithful to Christ. Now, it's real easy to look at someone like a missionary, like Hudson Taylor, and say, well, yeah, he's a missionary. He would go to, he would brave the elements. He would overcome whatever obstacles it took in order to encourage people to support him because that's his job. It's easy to think he's doing God's work. So what else is he supposed to do? Or maybe even, I bet he got paid. I mean, he, I bet he got a little bit of monthly support or he got supported on his mission field. But Hudson Taylor was faithful to God and God was faithful to Hudson Taylor. And today we're going to look at three different people who were faithful to God. They weren't the missionaries who were going abroad to share the gospel. They were just faithful in their everyday lives. There was Mary and Joseph, there was Simeon, and then there was this older gal named Anna. We're going to start with Joseph and Mary, and they were faithful to follow God's word. They did the two things that every good Jewish parent did of their day. And we're going to find that in verses 21 to 24, that the Jesus was circumcised, and they had Jesus dedicated at the temple, or he was consecrated or dedicated at the temple. And that's all we're going to focus on as far as what they did, but they were faithful to obey God's word. So Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse three or 23 says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So the first law that these good Jewish parents kept just to do what God wanted them to do was to have their child circumcised. Now, if you're not sure what that is, go home and ask your parents. Because I'm not going to try to explain that while up here at the pulpit. Uh, I, but it was something that took place on the eighth day. And it, uh, I, I spoke about this one time, and this older gal came up to me and gave me all sorts of medical reasons why it would be the eighth day, which was far more information than I ever hoped to hear. Uh, but the Bible does say in Levit- Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, on the eighth day, the boys to be circumcised. And so that's why this is taking place. Now, circumcision was a sign of a covenant that God had made with Abraham. God said to Abraham, and this is found in Genesis 17. I'm not going to read it all. It's a great big, long passage. It makes a lot of sense, but it gets hard to focus and pay attention if I'm reading all this to you. So I'm just going to highlight what this covenant was about. It said, God told Abraham, I will make you uh, the father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. 
I would be, they, he would be Abraham's God and the God of his descendants, and God would give him the whole land of Canaan, which was the promised land, as an everlasting possession. So God says, I'm going to make this covenant with you, Abraham. This is my part. This is what I'm going to do. And what Abraham and his descendants were supposed to do was to have their, their sons circumcised. If it was the baby who was born, if it was somebody who was joining uh, the Israelites, whoever it was, if they're going to be part of this, their response, their, their proof of their, their faith in God was that they were going to be circumcised, that they were going to have this relationship with him. It was the outward sign of an inward relationship. Now, at eight days old, a baby can't do that, right? But the parents could. So the parents were uh, showing their relationship with God and what they were hoping for their son to be when he grew up to have a relationship with God. Now, it is important for Jesus to be circumcised because having been circumcised, he was, uh, he was identified with the descendants of Abraham, in Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 17, 14 says any uncircumcised male is going to be cut off. So if Mary and Joseph did not at some point do this, Jesus would not, even though he was true Jewish blood, he would not be identified as a true Israelite, as a true Jew following God. And that wasn't going to look good if God's own son was not circumcised, if he was not, uh, if he was kicked out of uh, the Israelite family because he wasn't circumcised. So that's the first good Jewish law that the Mary and Joseph kept. The second one was to have their son dedicated, was to have him presented at the temple. Uh, we saw that in verses 22 to 24. Verse 22 says, there was a time of purification according to the law of Moses. Now, if a woman had a son, she was unclean for 40 days. At day eight, the baby could be circumcised, uh, but she was unclean for till day 40. If she had a girl, sorry, you were unclean for 80 days. And during that time, she couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't touch anything sacred. It was, it was uh, a very big no-no for her to do that. So that's why they had this time of purification. And it was understood why you weren't going to the temple. And it was okay because you had to do this. Well, when you got back to the temple, you were supposed to offer... A lamb as a burnt sacrifice and a pigeon or a dove as a sin offering. Well, we see here that Mary um, offered a pair of doves or two young pigeons. God made this provision in the law that said, hey, if you can't afford a lamb, you guys can do something else. And that's what this is. You can offer a pair of doves or two young pigeons, which proves Mary and Joseph were poor. They were poor people. God gave his son to poor people. And easily you can see how he could relate to the poor people of the world. If he was uh, the king, born in a, in a king kingdom, or if he was born in great wealth, then the, the poor people wouldn't be able to relate to that. But Jesus going with the poor people first could relate eventually to everybody. Now when Jesus was presented to the Lord, he was consecrated, which means he was set apart for a common, from a common use to a sacred use. It was the devoting or setting apart of anything to the worship or the service of God. And Jesus was consecrated to the Lord. Do you know why he was? Anybody want to take a guess? Was it because he was the son of God? Jesus was consecrated to the Lord. Was it something that happened to every kid was consecrated to the Lord? 
The answer is Jesus was consecrated to the Lord because he was the firstborn son. Your version may say that every male that openeth up the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So that meant the very firstborn, and anybody who's here who's the firstborn was a son would be the one that was dedicated to the Lord. That means I would have been. That means Noah would have been. I'm sorry. I, I look at the Berkeleys, and I see that Daisy was born first. The very firstborn son, Nick, would not have been dedicated to the Lord because it's the one who openeth the womb. It's the very firstborn has to be a male, and that's the firstborn that is offered to the Lord. In Exodus 13, we find that every, we find the command that every firstborn uh, male, whether animal or human, was to be consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. Now, the purpose of this was very simple. It was something that was going to remind the Israelites for years and years to come of what God had done for them while they were in Egypt. When God was leading them out of Egypt, the tenth plague was that the firstborn would die. And God said, you know, for Israelites, I want you to know something. You put blood on the top of your door frames and on the sides. And when the angel comes through to, to, to kill the firstborn, if you did that, your son's going to live. But if you didn't, your son's going to die. And so I imagine just about every Israelite family said, hey, we know God has done all these plagues. We know what he's capable of. We're going to do this. And we're going to put blood on the doorposts and on the sides of our house. But the Egyptians didn't do that. And Pharaoh's own son even died, which ultimately led to the Israelites being pushed out of Egypt. And I, I believe that that even covered their animals. Uh, the Israelites, if they put the blood on their doorposts, it protected their animals because God's taken the firstborn of, of human life and the firstborn of animal life as, as his own uh, to serve in his temple, to, to be his people. Now, God decided... Or he knew in advance. It wasn't something he made up as he went along. He says, I'm going to take the firstborn because I spared all the Israelites. I didn't kill the firstborn. I'm going to claim the firstborn as my own kids, my own sons that are going to serve me. But when you have 12 tribes kind of scattered everywhere, you know, it would be a lot of work to say, I'm going to take, okay, the, the firstborn from Dan and Naphtali and uh, Judah and Dan and bring all these people to Jerusalem to serve. So he says, I'm just going to take the tribe of Levi. And I'm going to have them serve before me as, as priest before the Lord. And there's actually some point to this. So just bear with me. And uh, Jesus, or God says, you know what? It's, uh, I'm going to take the tribe of Levi, and I'm going to make a mine. But you still need to set aside and consecrate your firstborn son to me. So everybody else who wasn't a Levi still had to do that. And then they had to redeem their sons buy back so to speak for five shekels of silver these sons that they had dedicated to the lord and they would stay with them and live with them as, as part of their family but it was something that was going to remind people for generations and generations to come what god had done for his children at this point jesus is a baby he acts like a baby he can't talk it was something he couldn't do. He could not get himself to the temple. It was something that Mary and Joseph had to do to make sure that Jesus was uh, circumcised and that Jesus was dedicated. Now, this idea of being faithful to follow God's word, I'm going to start with the parents. Everybody here who's a parent, as well as myself, we need to be faithful to follow God's law for the sake of our kids, just like Mary and Joseph were for Jesus. 
because Jesus was a baby. And even though he's God in the flesh, he, he functioned like a baby. He, he didn't start lecturing Mary and Joseph and saying, okay, guys, you know it's about day eight. We got to get there because I got to follow God's law. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, guys, get up. Let's go. I'm going to carry my stuff and let's go to the temple. He, it, God left it up to Mary and Joseph, and God in his sovereignty said, I'm going to give Joseph and par- uh, Mary, I'm going to give Jesus parents that are going to follow my commands, that are going to do what I need him to do. And so our first challenge is, as parents, you, as well as me, need to make sure we're following God's word for the sake of our kids. Now, there's lots of parts in the Bible that we like, and there's lots of parts that we don't like. There's parts that are convenient, and there are parts that are inconvenient. But children, as much as we love them, uh, as much as, as they love us, are not capable of making certain choices until they reach a certain age. Now, for a, f- a few little examples are, what about bedtime? You know, how many, you know, if my kids, if you were to give them a choice on what time they went to bed, guess what time they'd go to bed? They wouldn't go to bed at a sensible time. They would stay up really late, and they'd sleep in, and then you're tr- they wouldn't go to school. If you say, hey, Noah, hey, Caleb, I want you to eat, which they're really good veggie eaters, so it's not a very good example, but say, here, here's your veggies that they're not going to choose to eat those. Sometimes you've got to tell your kid, here, you need to eat this. Your kid wants to play basketball, or they want to play a musical instrument. Well, that's fun right off the bat. But kids, a lot of times, say, I don't want to practice that anymore. That's, that's hard. I don't, it wasn't, I mean, the guy who plays the, this amazing guitar on the radio, he practiced for a million and a half hours, and I picked up my guitar, and I can't play it. I don't want it. So sometimes as parents, you got to say, you're going to keep doing this. You need to do this. But the same thing is true when it comes to following God's law, following God's word. Now, with, with the, how about the example of going to church? Now, I know there are people in here who say, I'm going to go to church because I know that's the right thing to do. And I'm, I commend that. That's something Leslie would have tried to do when she was a kid. But, you know, when I was a kid, even though my dad was a pastor, if I would have had the choice not to go, guess what I would have done? I would have stayed home. I would have watched the Seahawks lose. I would have watched them every Sunday that I could. My parents actually gave me a choice. They say, Josh, you can choose if you go to church or not. But the first time you decide you're not going to go, that's the last time you're going to (laughs) choose. Kids need to help to determine how often you go to church. Because there's always something better to do. There's always that game on. There's always this thing to do on the weekend. There's always a friend's house to go to. Uh, even which church you're going to go to. Uh, back in Davenport, uh, we were, it was a town the size of Baker. And there was, there was kids in our youth group, and they, their parents went to church. Well, the kids decided, we don't like the way the preacher preaches. We want to go to one of those big mega churches in Spokane. And so they started going with some of their friends, and the kids started dragging their parents that way which is great if they're getting fed God's word, but what you're doing is you're taking kids who were, whose parents were involved in church. They were, they were helping in a WANA or VBS or somewhere, or a trustee or a deacon. They were doing something, and now they're going to a church where all you have to do is just sit there and be entertained. You don't do anything because there's all these paid staff. It's in a different, uh, it's, it's uh, 40 miles away, and so you're not going there to serve at some ministry during the week. It's just that... I, I did my duty kind of thing. Kids are making those choices. When it comes to whether or not your kid reads the Bible or they pray, 
you know, kids, you know, there's, this is a, a difficult book to read. I mean, I, I've learned how to study it, and so I enjoy it. But as a kid, it wasn't like, I mean, I would read, uh, I'd read the sports page. I'd read a comic book. I'd read anything but the Bible, except for my parents made sure I read the Bible. And, and now I enjoy it, and now I love to share it. But somebody had to decide for me, Josh, this is what you need to do. The moral standards that we live with, you know, uh, the, the movies that we watch with language and indecency, uh, kids, they're not, half the time, they're, not, they're oblivious to that kind of stuff, but they're going to grow up and realize it's just always been that way, so it's no big deal. Or those songs that we like that have, it's got the great beat, but it's got a message that God's like, I don't think so, that's not the best thing for you. Uh, or the activities that we're involved in. It's our job as parents to, to make sure our kids are following God's law be, or following his words because they're not. Most of them, I'm not going to say every kid, but most of every kid is not going to do that unless they get trained to do that. And that's what we see Joseph and Mary doing. All they're doing is something very simple. I'm getting Jesus circumcised and I'm getting Jesus dedicated. I'm just doing what God asked me to do. And the same applies with every other part of Scripture. we got to make sure we're helping our kids uh, follow God's law. And, uh, you know, the, all that pressure I just dumped on the parents and on myself, that, that goes for uncles and aunts and cousins or grandparents, anybody who has kids in their possession at some time because my, my uh, nephew spends the night. It's my job while he's with me to make sure he's following God's commands. And hey, we're going to make sure we spend some time in God's word together. You may not do it at home. While you're with me, we're going to go to church. We're not going to do X, Y, and Z because we're, I'm trying to teach you what God's word says as long as you're under my care. And that's what Mary and Joseph did. Okay, so the next, the next person is Simeon. And he was a guy who was faithful and he was just uh, doing everyday life and he was being faithful for God to keep his promises. And we find this in uh, verses 25 to 32. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. And Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people, a light for, for revelation to the Gentile and for glory for your people Israel. Uh, Simeon, he was just or he was righteous. And in the Greek, this means that his standards were God's standards. His relationship with God, with God was such that he consistently walked with God. And as he was devout, Simeon took God and his word and his promises seriously. He had a good reputation with those around him, all the people on the same level that you can see. And he had a good reputation before God. Now, sometimes it's easy to have a good reputation with people because I got this accountability. People are looking at me, but I, I can be nice. I can be nice to my wife and have an ulterior motive, right? That's really easy to do, and I can pull the wool over her eyes. But it's possible, right? But God, I can't pull the wool over His eyes, 
And Simeon was able to have a good relationship with everybody out there, and he was able to have a good relationship with God while he was waiting for God to keep his promises. So, okay, so, so, so try to understand this, or, or, or what do you guys think? Do you think Simeon was righteous and devout because God told him in advance, hey, this is what's going to happen. You're going to see the consolation of Israel. You're going to see the salvation. You're going to see this little baby. Was that, was, was that what was made him righteous and devout, this promise? Or was Simeon just righteous and devout, and somewhere along the way, God told him, Simeon, you're righteous and devout. I know you want to see this, so I'm going to let you see this. I think the second, I think he was just, he was just always faithful. He was always righteous. He was always devout. So God said, hey, I know you've been praying for this. I know this is what you want, so I'm going to let you have it. And it says he waited. Well, how long did he wait? Did he wait a few days? Did he wait a few months? Was it a few years? Was it a few decades? I don't know. All I know was during that time, he was righteous and he was devout while he followed God, while he was waiting for God to keep his promises. Now, it's easy to think, well, sure, it's easy for Simeon. He knew he was going to get something out of this. If I knew God was going to uh, do something for me because I was faithful and devout, I would do it too. You know, if, um, and God's never probably promised you that. You know, God never promised me that either. He never said, Josh... If you go to Plevna and you, you be the pastor there and you tell people about Jesus, you're going to have a whole church full of people. You're going to leave 20 people to the Lord. You're going to have X, Y, Z experiences. God never told me anything like that. God never said, Josh, if you give uh, the last $2 that you have to that missionary, I'm going to bless you with the windfall later on in life. I have no promises. And I, I imagine everybody out here says the same thing. God never promised me anything so it's definitely easy for Simeon he knew he was getting something out of it but you know what uh that didn't stop him I mean that that shouldn't stop us Simeon was faithful while he waited while we're waiting for God to keep his promises and he actually did keep prom he made his promises and we're going to look at just a few of those God promised something to each one of us when we're uh, while we're waiting for God to keep his promises, we got to be faithful. When we're at work and we're at odds with the people around us, we don't, we're, get, we're not getting along with our boss or a fellow employee, and we want to badmouth them, and we want to slack off on our job because it doesn't matter anyway, we got to be faithful to God's word that says we got to be working as unto the Lord. God says it in his word, we got to do it. When you've had a bad day at work, or even if you've had a good day, and you come home and you have a son that was supposed to shovel the snow, and you get home, and it's clearly he just stepped right through it, didn't shovel it, and now you've got to take care of that. And you want to go in and wring his neck, and you want to scream and say, I told you, he's in there playing on the video game. Hey, Dad, happy to see you, and has no idea what he was supposed to do. We got to be faithful to God's word that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. If I go in there and start screaming at him, he's going to learn to do that to his kid. He's going to do it to his brother. He might even do it back to me. As we think of taxes coming up, and we realize, boy, I'm going to have to pay a lot of taxes, or I can't write this off, or uh, it'd be, I could get away with all sorts of stuff, and the government would never know. We got to be faithful to God's word that says, Render to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and to God's what is God's. I don't know what the direct impact or outcome of those things is going to be. 
here on earth or, or what difference it's going to make. But I have to be faithful while I'm waiting for God to keep his promises. So just a, a list of a few promises that God made you, that God has made me, that we have not experienced yet. It says, John 14, 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, that you may also be. Is that a promise that God has made to us? Yeah. Have we experienced what that's like? No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. But that's a promise I'm waiting to see fulfilled. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. At the moment, I'm saved. If I died right now, I would go to heaven. But I still look like this. I still feel like this. I still have aches and pains. I still have to live on this life. I, don't, I haven't experienced the full extent of what it means to have salvation until I get there. But I'm still promised that I have salvation. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We will be rewarded for the things that we have done. Right here on earth, I've had little bits of rewards. And I'm sure hoping that there's a great big amount of reward up there when I get there. But I haven't experienced it. But my job is to be faithful here on earth while I'm waiting for these promises to be fulfilled in my life. Now, Simeon, when he was faithful, he had the privilege to go and, and to see Jesus here on earth, which is what he wanted. And he also had the privilege of talking to Mary and Joseph and... And speaking to them about their son and blessing them. Verse uh, 33 through 35, it says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to, to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And those are things we're going to see as we go through the book of Luke. We're going to see that people's hearts are revealed. And we're, we're going to even find out probably in here that our hearts are going to be revealed. When you hear that you're a savior and you need a savior, you know, some people go, I hate hearing that. That's all I ever hear at church. That's why people don't want to come on Easter Sunday because it's always the same message. You need a savior. Hearts are going to be revealed. Or it's like, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you, God, that I have salvation. Your heart will be shown in this. And, and that's what Simeon is telling his, uh, Mary and Joseph. People's hearts are going to be revealed. And that Mary's soul is going to be pierced. She's going to feel anguish and pain when her son Jesus dies on the cross. And Simeon, because he was faithful, got to see the baby Jesus. And he was able to talk to Mary and Joseph and share something with them that uh, no one else would have that knowledge about. I mean, no one else is going to have that relationship with God where he's going to say, here's what I want you to tell these people. But because he was faithful and being righteous and just, God was able to talk to Simeon and say, hey, here you go. Now, being faithful, when it comes to being faithful, there's no restrictions. There's no uh, age limit to being faithful. There's, there's no point where God says, okay, you're retired, you're done. And now it's... It's, and we find that with Anna. She's, she's a gal. She's about 84 years old, or she's 84. She's been widowed for 84 years old, and so she's even older than that. The, even the commentaries don't agree on how old this lady is. It, it kind of depends on how it's written. See what you think, how old you think this gal is. But she is on the end of life, but she's still being faithful with the opportunities that she has. It says, There is also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. 
Don't tell that to her. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now, it's real easy for me to say, yeah, you're, you're older. I don't see what your problem is. I mean, I know you're older. Just keep on serving God. It, it doesn't stop. I'm 38 years old. You know, I, I, can still, I can still do pretty much whatever I want to do. I can jump up and down. I can stay up late. I can, I can physically help people. And I understand as the body gets older, that gets harder. So it's real easy for me at 38 to say, yeah, you guys keep going. There's no stopping point. I mean, you think of Pastor Don. He's 80 years old, and he's, he's like the Energizer Bunny is what it sounds like. He did not let uh, time stop him. He didn't let the situations he was involved stop him. Now, Anna, she had a rough life. Uh, you get married in your teens, and she was married for about seven years before her husband passed away. Now, just a little tidbit on my marriage with Leslie. Uh, seven years was like, okay, this was like when things are starting to get good, you know? It's like you struggle and you fight and you get to know each other and how do you live with this person? And at that point, it's over. That's where, for her, that's where her marriage stopped and she was a widow until she was 84. That's a big reason to say, okay, God, you are not doing anything for me. Why should I continue to do anything for you? But she didn't let that stop her. Now, being a widow back then, you know, we've discussed before, is that's a really bad thing. I mean, just even being a female was not a, uh, something you were excited about. I mean, unless you're a girl, maybe you're excited about that. But it didn't give you any perks. You couldn't go out and get a job. You, you, you were always looking for help from other people. You weren't thought very highly of. But these, all these things, you, you just think about them with this older woman who doesn't have very much physically that she can do. She's had a rough life, but she's, you know what she did, what Anna did that it doesn't matter what age you are. She did what she could do. You know, she, she was, uh, the things that she did, when the doors were open to the temple, she was in there fasting and she was praying and she was worshiping God. Who knows what she did when she was in her younger days, but it doesn't say that she was, leading a Bible study. It doesn't say that she was doing a kid's program. It doesn't say all those things. All it says right now that she was doing what she could. She was, she was worshiping, she was fasting, and she was praising God. Now, that might not look much to us, you know, especially for a 38-year-old guy that can do all sorts of things. Like, that's what you did. But it doesn't matter what I think. I'm not the judge. No one here is the judge. God looks and says, thank you, Anna. You did exactly what you could do for me. And that's what Anna did. And when the opportunity came, when she saw the baby Jesus, she went and told people about the salvation of Israel. Hey, you guys are looking forward to for this. I mean, all of Israel knew at some point there was going to be the salvation coming. And she started telling people, this is what is, has finally come. This is what we're looking forward to. And we could, doesn't matter your age, you can do the same thing. Say, guess what? Jesus has already come. Now, when I think about the older generation and, and how hard it is, uh, you know, when I say do what you can do, I have three examples here uh, of people who did just that. Uh, Leslie's grandpa, Rex, he, uh, he passed away a couple years ago. Uh, he, was, he died from ALS, so it was something that was slowly 
uh, happening to him. But when the opportunities he took, every Sunday, we're, we're pushing him into church. I mean, I'm out there, I'm like pulling a back muscle, trying to get him from a wheelchair into his car. He has all the excuses in the world not to go because he has to get out of the wheelchair into the car, car to wheelchair into the church. Everybody's looking at him and everything that he wanted could do, he did it. He was in church as much as it was possible. And when it came down to his, the last uh, week or a few weeks of his life, he couldn't hardly talk. He had a son and a daughter and he was trying to make things right with them and he's trying to help them to make things right with God because they grew up uh, at least part of their life in church. Grandpa was saved and he made sure they knew the gospel. They both claimed that they knew it, but they weren't living it. So he, with his last words that he could say, was trying to share the gospel, was trying to make sure that they would make their relationship right with God so that after he died, they would go to church, that they would keep doing what they were supposed to do. There's a gal, uh, her name's Dolores Anderson, and she's a prayer warrior. She's in a nursing home. She can't really do much. She's got a very sharp mind. She'd be a great pinochle player. She, she actually, we tried to teach Leslie how to play that. Uh, and uh, it was fun for three of us, her and her husband. Uh, anyway, she, she can't hardly walk in a wheelchair. She can't really get around in a, in a, or she can't hardly walk with a walker. She can't really wheel around in a wheelchair. Her, her mind is sharp. And she, uh, when all the, the people who come in to help her, she, she tries to share the love of Jesus on her face with her words. She can't, she can't sew. She can't do most things, but she can pray. And she's a prayer warrior. She prays for me. And she, she, she's just one person where if, if you ask someone to pray or they say they're going to pray, you just know they're going to pray. And you just count on that. And that's all that she can do. But that's what she does. And there's a story that I've come across somewhere uh, in the past of a guy who was stuck in a wheelchair and all he could do when he got to church was uh, sharpen the pencils. I think someone even had to bring the pencils to him because some churches have little pencils so you can take notes and all he could do was sharpen pencils. And I don't, I don't know if he could talk. I don't know anything, but I remember that's what I heard and it would be so much quicker for somebody else to just grab these pencils, sharpen them and stick them back. But the guy's like, let me do that because that's what I can do. And so that's where we get the example of, of Anna. It doesn't matter if you're a good carpenter. Use that for God. We got ranchers. Use that for God. If you can sew, use that for God. You like to sing. You like to play the piano. Whatever you can do to use it for God, be faithful and use it for God. So parents, I'm going to challenge you, the same as I'm challenged myself, is to make sure we're faithful to God's word for the sake of our kids. It might be tough. We might have to stop being their friends at moments and say, you know what, I know you want to do this, but it is better that you choose this option instead of that. What? You always let me. Well, it's a new day. I'm going to try to be faithful to doing what God's word wants me to say or what, what he wants us to do. Whatever position you're in at work or at school, be faithful to God's word in those. When you're in your private life, Whatever situation that you're in, are you going to be faithful to God's word at whatever, uh, at every part of your day? And all of us, are we going to let our age or our circumstances or the things that have happened to us in life keep us from being faithful to God? I challenge you to be faithful, to say, no, I'm not going to let anything stop me. God is faithful to keep his promises, 
So we got to be faithful to keep his word. Now, I was, just, I was just thinking right before this message about Joshua 24, 15. He says, uh, you guys, he's telling the Israelites, you choose today who you want to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Today, choose if you're going to be faithful to what God's word says. But don't worry about what anybody else says. Say, as for me and my house, today, we're going to be faithful and we're going to serve God. Let that be a challenge to you. And as you struggle with it, ask God to help you because he'll give you the courage that you need to do that. So let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for the example of, of so much faithfulness in the Bible. I mean, I know there's, there's story after story of people who are faithful to you. Uh, Abraham and giving up his son. People who are faithful to go and share the gospel even when they're being persecuted. And, and even simple examples today, like Mary and Joseph, they were just... They were taking two commands that you asked them to do, and they were faithful to do that for the sake of their son, for the sake of our Savior. And I pray that you'd help us to do that for those that are under us. And for Simeon, he was faithful, God, just in life. I don't know what he did for a job. I don't know uh, what what he did anywhere, except for we know that he was righteous and devout. And I pray that you'd help us to be faithful, to be righteous and devout. And for Anna, who was faithful... For all those years, in spite of what she went through, and in spite of her age and what she's capable of, she was faithful to serve you. So I just ask that you'd help us to do that. God, please let it be said of us, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I just ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.